0: Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand... When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash.
1: Welcome. I am so glad that you were able to join us today. If you're newer, um, you might not know we're in the book of Acts. If you've been here a while, you know we're in the book of Acts. It's the biblical history of the church. Now, for some of us, relevant history is interesting. Some history is not, and my apologies to you history teachers. But this history has rocked our boats. We have learned about God's plan, about how he well, birthed a church in order to represent him in this culture, in our culture, and in all the past cultures. We've learned about the Son's love and the message that has absolutely transformed and changed the world. And we've learned about the Spirit's power and how the Holy Spirit literally indwells every believer and gives them Well, the ability to be able to reflect God well wherever we go. Last week, Paul was in Athens. He modeled for us what evangelism part looks like in making disciples. But now we're in Acts 18. So you can begin to turn your Bibles there. But in Acts 18, we find Paul discouraged. We're not used to that. He's at a low point in his grueling ministry. Let me just recall some things for you. But but Paul and Silas had been beaten in Philippi. They were thrown in prison and they were forced to leave the town. From there, he went to Thessalonica, where his ministry thrived. It was awesome. People responded. For at least three weeks but then the persecution forced him to berea when he went to berea people responded one more time they were excited to hear the word of the lord but once again he was forced to leave now paul he arrives alone in this great city of athens where his brilliant speech in defense of christianity Has largely been ignored but God was at work in Athens he eventually left Athens and went to Corinth a 53 mile walk now let me say this it was a challenging time for Paul as we'll soon see life in Corinth isn't going to get much easier Yet the good news is that we will see how the Lord rejuvenates his servant in very wonderful and terrific ways. He gives him companions and blesses Paul's work. He comforts Paul and faithfully gives him his promise so that he might be able to do the work that God has called him to do. Saints, that's what the Bible calls all those who are part of God's family. But saints, especially weary saints, can find hope in this passage. You see, God is faithful and promises we will be standing after our storms if we listen to him. So before we jump into Acts 18, let's pray. God You are mysterious in so many ways. You are a big God. You are an amazing God. You have such authority. You sustain creation. You are God. We come before you and we recognize, Lord, that there's so much we don't know about you. But we want to learn more. There's things we don't understand on how you, well, operate. But God, we want to trust you in spite of that. So we pray, even this morning, Lord, as as we open up your word, as we find the Apostle Paul weary, tired, and discouraged. Lord, what you shared with Paul, we need to hear. We need to understand your word and the power of your word and and so we pray even this day god as we hear from you that you change us from the inside out lord there are so many other churches that are meeting even now meeting right here in this county meeting all over this state and in our country and all over the world lord saints are gathering to hear your word and to worship And we pray that you would equip them, you'd encourage them, you'd clarify their view of who you are and empower them for the mission that you've given each one of us. We pray especially, Father, for churches in this area, New Hope and Meadowland and Connection. And we ask, dear God, that you would use the Word of God in these congregations, and that they would continually spread good news wherever they go, not only today, but this week. We ask you, fathers, we open up Acts 18. Illuminate this text for us, God. Give us the understanding. And for those especially who are tired and weary and discouraged, we pray you would pump their tires. You're so good at that, God and we thank you for it ahead of time. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Now, Paul leaves Athens, as I shared with you, and he travels to Corinth. So in Acts chapter 18, I'd like you to follow along, and your Bibles are up on the screen. We're going to read the first 11 verses.
0: Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes. Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the Word of God. So many times we
1: read the scriptures and we see the litany of cities. And we try to understand just a little bit what these cities look like, or you try to imagine what it would mean to actually live in these cities, Well, Pastor Tim Keller, he's a scholar. He's uh, one of my favorite teachers. He seemed to help me understand a little bit more of what these cities might look like right here in the United States. So, So maybe this will help. He sees Athens like Boston. This is the place that Paul just left. But Boston is like an intellectual center. He sees Corinth as a combination of New York City and Vegas, a very sensual commercial center. So many times before, I have often referred to as Corinth as Las Vegas. But this made more sense to me. Not only was this emphasis in Corinth about immorality and and self-fulfillment, but there was this gigantic piece of Corinth that was commercial. And to me, it kind of fits a little better. There was Ephesus, which we're going to eventually get to. And Ephesus, he likens to Los Angeles, which is a popular culture and a cult center. And then Rome was like Washington, D.C., the political center of the nation. Nepal was in Corinth, as we just read. Corinth is a flourishing center of business and commerce and sexual immorality. It was a hotbed of self-indulgence and self-focus. In fact, any believer would struggle to live a godly life in a city where the lights never go out. This made ministry to Corinth exceptionally challenging. We find right in the beginning that Paul quickly meets two people. Aquila and Priscilla. He ends up living with them and working with them. We find that Paul was a tent maker or in some cases a leather worker. And so he combined with these folks and started to provide for his daily needs. The scriptures tell us that every Sabbath he tried to convince both Jews and Greeks you see, even with a day job, even with a day job, ministry was a priority. Let's read again, verses four through six. Each Sabbath, Paul, uh, excuse me, each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. After Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go and preach to the Gentiles. Every Sabbath, in spite of working, in spite of trying to meet his his needs, He would make ministry a priority. Paul, as we know, as as you've seen all the way through the scriptures, was overwhelmed by grace. And he wanted everybody to experience. He had met Jesus, and it changed his life. He wanted everyone to understand how wonderful and amazing how Jesus gives purpose, how much he loves and changes each one of us from the inside out. Now, I I think every one of us, sometimes our schedules get a little busy. And I think every one of us, sometimes even our jobs get overwhelming. But one of the things that was interesting, even in a new place, even when Paul was... Well, not officially ministering to others, he went to the synagogue and he served where he could serve. I'm wondering are we as a people, well, convincing Jews and Greeks? I know some of us are busy, and I know there's so many things that are going on in our lives, but the truth is, no matter where Paul went, because of his experience with who God was, it just leaked out. So every opportunity he had, he wanted to convince. This word feels a little bit more like reasoned. He was hoping more than anything that whoever he met, whether it be a Jew, whether it be a Greek, I I just want you to know Jesus. And maybe, as many of us struggle with evangelism, many of us struggle with sharing with others our amazing, wonderful, and terrific life with Jesus. If maybe some of God's grace has waned in our life. Maybe we don't realize what we've been saved from and the status that we have as God's children and the amazing future that each one of us have. Maybe we have forgotten that God is the one who's in charge in spite of all the chaos in our world. Well, Paul was convinced that Jesus made a difference, and wherever he went, he shared it. The scripture here tells us that Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. And probably with funds, we see this in other parts of the scripture. But this generosity enabled Paul to be able to spend all of his time preaching the word the scriptures tell us clearly that he testified he wanted people to know that Jesus was the Messiah that this Jesus changed lives but it's interesting the religious, the synagogue goers the folks who were supposed to be better connected with God they didn't respond well they opposed and insulted Paul So Paul did something that would seem very odd to us. He shook the dust off his clothes. Now his gesture of shaking out his garments is symbolic and extremely offensive, especially to a Jew. People shook their garments to rid themselves of crumbs after a meal. Paul is literally saying to these Jews and these Greeks in the synagogue. You are now like crumbs to me. I'm shaking you off and I'm leaving you behind. Paul then accompanied his gesture, or this gesture, with a warning that judgment would follow their rejection of the gospel. Now when you first read this, this seems so uncharacteristic. It seems so unloving. Yet Jesus and Paul both shook dust off their clothes. If you follow these gentlemen, even in the scriptures, you'll find out that it was really clear that they did not work with everybody. God gives each one of us time, a certain amount of time. And it's critical for each one of us to be able to listen to God, to walk with God, to listen to, the God, to God's promptings to open his word and learn where he wants us to go and when he wants us to go, with whom even to minister to. Because there are so many good ministries and so many quality people. I don't think right here serving is the question. We know that is one of the privileges that we have as believers is to be able to serve others with joy. But there comes a time in every one of our lives where we need to question, what ministry do we get involved with? What people do I spend time with? Who do you want me to disciple God? Because there comes a time, literally, when you separate from people that you work with. Sometimes you leave or you separate because they're unresponsive. Sometimes, again, and this is just not some cavalier action, it is something I think, especially Paul, Paul was convinced that the Messiah made a difference. And he tried to share this message over and over, especially right here. And the response was negative over and over and over until Paul finally says, you know what? I sense that I need to move on. And so in this case, he left because of unresponsiveness. But other times, all of us, whoever we work with, we leave them. Whether it be the unresponsiveness, as it just said, or maybe it's to unleash them to make disciples. For all of us are able to pour into people's lives. All of us will be able to encourage them to walk with the Lord faithfully. And there comes a time when they are ready, shall we say, to be pushed out of the house. So they continue to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Disciples. One of the ways that I've encouraged you to discern who to work with or who to spend time with, I I use the acronym FAT. Those who are faithful and those who are available and those who are teachable. Faithful to the Lord. Faithful to spending time with God. Faithful maybe to you as a teacher, as a mentor, as a disciple maker. Available. I've found this one segment is the hardest thing in today's culture because we are so busy. You try to find someone who is faithful, someone who is available, can meet, can serve with you, and someone who is teachable, someone who responds to God's word, someone who repents often. Someone who opens the book, listens to our Lord, and obeys our Lord. So in this case, it was the religious, the synagogue goers, the ones who supposedly knew about God that Paul left because they didn't respond to Paul's teaching to God's word and you have to sit and ask yourself a question as I sat there and I looked at this and I said Lord this is important to you it needs to be important to me when I open up the book when I listen to other teachers am i responsive to you are there blind spots in my life lord and this often should happen with every one of us no matter who the teacher is no matter when you pick up the word but god what is it what is it that's convicting what is it that's encouraging what is it god that you want me to listen to Well, the sad part is at least these Jews and Greeks were unresponsive to God's Word. So Paul, what he does, doesn't mope around a whole lot. He goes next door to the synagogue, to the home of tedious justice, and let's see what happens. Verse 7. Then he left and went to the home of Titius Justice, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. This is actually kind of exciting. Crispus who led the synagogue remember back in the first century uh, the Jews could have a synagogue if there were ten families that were willing to join and usually what would happen out of those ten families one person would rise up as the leader as the one that basically managed as the one that kind of led Crispus was that synagogue leader he, along with his family or household, could even be servants, came to faith. So there was fruit here. Now, we don't have a clear timeline here. But I think this actually happened after Paul shook the dust off his clothes. I think maybe Paul was convincing, Paul was preaching, Paul was sharing good news about Jesus as Messiah, and not a lot of people were responding. But at one time, when the dust was shaken, and he left, I think Crispus saw something. He recognized, maybe even heard that judgment. But he responded, not only he responded, but his whole family came to faith. This had to be a crushing blow to those who went to the synagogue. Are you kidding me? Christmas fell for this? Yeah, he's next door, he's worshiping with Paul. (laughs) But it also had to be a crushing blow to Christmas. Because for him to leave the Jewish faith or to leave the synagogue, he would be ostracized and persecuted. He had to pay a price. So the scriptures tell us that many others in Corinth also heard Paul now, they became believers. He had just moved just next door. But somehow the word got out. Sometimes the gospel was penetrating. Somehow people were believing. There was fruit that was happening. The gospel was transforming people because that's what it does. So people came to faith and were baptized. We see not only in the early church, but so many of the early Christians, this was a big deal. This was a person publicly saying to everybody, I now have a new master. I am following Jesus. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. It's so symbolic, so amazing, and so, well, it happened so quickly after someone came to faith. In our culture, sometimes we wait a little bit. We have three folks right here in our congregation that are ready to be baptized, and we are going to have our next baptismal service on September 12th. It's kind of a week right after Labor Day that we start to celebrate all that God is going to do coming in the fall, in the winter, in this new year, this new ministry year. So I ask you, maybe you haven't taken this next step of obedience Or maybe over these next few months as you share good news with those in the office, in the neighborhood, or wherever you are, that people might come to faith. And you might share the good news that Jesus is Messiah. And we might have a, well, a boatload of people willing to let others know that they are now followers of Jesus. Now, if you just read this, and and, and you're following along, you're probably pinching yourself. Paul is like, yes, this is so cool. I am not beat up at this moment. I'm not getting, you know, before a, a judge. Everything is really good. Okay, the Jews aren't really listening to me, but people are coming to faith. Yes, this is amazing. But it wasn't right. Something happened between verse 8 and 9. And I can only speculate here, honestly, as you read through different commentaries and say, well, why did Paul need this word from the Lord? If things were so good, and they were, and people were coming to faith, and they were, why did God need to meet with him and give him some of his Amazing words. Maybe the weight of the Corinthian culture finally caught up with Paul as he looked around and saw this unbelievable act of people. Perhaps the prospect of facing this city with its commerce and vice accounts for the weakness and the fear that gripped the apostle. Now, despite this good response, Paul's confidence seems to evaporate by verse 9. He acknowledges his weaknesses in the first letter to the church at Corinth. And you can follow along with me on the screen, but what's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, Paul writes this. When I first came to you, people at Corinth, dear brothers and sisters... I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. We don't get that picture of Paul, do we? Don't don't we get this just strong, dynamic man that just is so assured of everything? He wasn't in Corinth at this time. He said, my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, uh, apparently he had done that before, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God in spite of the Corinthians' response, it feels like Paul is ready to quit. Given his recent past, maybe Paul was too tired to enjoy these evangelistic blessings. You see, discouraged servants often find it difficult to delight in God's work. It's been huge to learn from the apostle because everywhere he goes, he preaches God's word and he encourages others. But he is the one who needs encouragement now. Oddly, without trying to enjoy Paul's misery, Paul's discouragement encourages me. Even the Apostle Paul needed encouragement in order to press on. By now, Paul's mind had to be racing, replaying the painful experiences he had endured in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. He was, after all, just a normal human. He was extraordinary, and he had amazing times with God. Nevertheless, he was affected by the outrage of false false accusations coupled with the physical and emotional trauma of beatings and imprisonment. Any normal person would begin to shudder at the prospect of more suffering and more difficulty. Then God's encouraging words come. This is so wonderful. Words not only Paul needs to hear, but words we need to hear. Let's go back. Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out. Don't be silent for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. The first thing that Paul hears is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Paul. I, I know these last few months and years have paid a price. But don't be afraid. We sometimes think of Paul as being immune to fear, but apparently the opposition and the Corinthian landscape frightened him. He wasn't the first messenger of God who needed a gentle rebuke about not being fearful. Some of the ones that stick out certainly are Joshua, He's taking over after Moses has died. The the promised land is before him. The very first battle is Jericho. Don't be afraid, Joshua. What about the young Mary, 14, 15, 16 years old? She's never been with a man, but she finds out she's pregnant. (laughs) What? Don't be afraid, Mary. Mary. Don't be afraid. There's a reason that God says fear not or don't be afraid a whole lot of times in the scriptures. And depending on your translation, it could be up to 366 times. Isn't that cool? It could be. So every day you could read a fear not passage recognizing that hey, there's a lot to be afraid of in life. I like how one scholar put it. Paul was like a boxer that needed his corner man to encourage him to get back into the ring, to go another round. You know, it's interesting. David, in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, was surrounded by the Philistines. It didn't look good for David. But in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, this is what David writes. He says, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? So the encouragement here is to walk with God, is to trust God, is not to be afraid, no matter what circumstance you're in. The second thing God said is, don't be silent. Speak out. Paul, you've been really, really good at this. You see, many Christians aren't afraid to serve, but we are afraid to speak. Some assume they're not gifted enough or not knowledgeable enough or not powerful enough to make the gospel known or to encourage someone with good news. Interesting, during the training of the 12, Jesus warned his disciples about suffering and then promised them that the Holy Spirit would help them with all of their words. This is one of the benefits of walking closely with the Lord. God will give us words as we listen to him, as we walk with him. Even Paul experienced uh, weakness. But in spite of this, the Lord commissioned him. He didn't commission Paul because of his skills in speech. We know that from other passages. So be encouraged. The Lord uses ordinary, fragile people. Some of you might even remember the study we had recently in 2 Corinthians when a major theme of 2 Corinthians is this. God uses jars of clay. Ordinary people, because ordinary people have a tendency to trust God more and to reflect God's glory wherever they go. Cast your insufficiencies on the Lord and you will find that weakness is a secret strength of Christ's ambassadors. So speak up. You have words, so many of you. Share the good news. And then God says this, I am with you. Paul I get it, you're discouraged. Don't be afraid. Keep doing what you've been doing. I want you to know it makes a difference. I am going to be with you. The Lord, his first promise to Paul is I'm not going anywhere. This guarantee of God's presence basically repeats Jesus' words in the Great Commission. As you go make disciples, and I just want you to know Wherever you go, I will be with you. The same promise was made to Moses in Exodus and Joshua in Joshua 1 and Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1. It says, I'm going to be with you in all the things that you are going to do because the Lord is with his servants. They can persevere in mission. His presence is enough. And and then God says this, and this is kind of special. This is a specific promise just for Paul. And he had to just be so excited about it. But he says this, no one's going to attack or harm you. This was unique to Paul's situation. And God promised to protect him on this specific mission. And then he ends up with this. Many in this city belong to me. I've put you there for a reason. I want you to talk. Don't be afraid. Keep speaking. I'm going to be with you because there are folks that need to hear this gospel message and they are going to respond. The final promise assured Paul of the Lord's sovereignty and salvation and that God was going to use him to accomplish his mission of saving the lost. He's basically saying, people are ready to respond, Paul. Don't quit right now. Keep doing what I'm asking you to do. So the scripture tells us that Paul stays and teaches for 18 months. His strength was renewed and his perspective regained through God's word. I look at this. Oh, Lord, I need your word every day. Oh, Lord, I I, I need to understand what you want me to do, how you want me to act. Oh, God, teach me, mold me. I can't go a day without meeting with you. What an encouragement. Paul heard. Paul listened and Paul said, okay, if I'm here, let's do it, God. And he stayed for 18 months. But what's interesting, and I'm going to have you read these texts, I'm going to summarize them. But if you start reading of verse 12 and going through verse 17, trouble follows Paul. But I got to believe that he remembered God, God's promise. Because if you read this text, you'll find out that the Jews brought charges against Paul and Paul was brought again before an authority and he was put on trial. And I can imagine at this time, Paul's going, okay, God, you had just talked to me. God, you said I would be protected. Now here I am once again, this did not go well the last time this happened, Lord, just so you know. But it's so cool that God waited to act just before Paul was going to defend himself. In a very miraculous way, the proconsul there, his name was Galileo. And Galileo rendered a verdict in what today's courts would call a summary judgment and he basically threw out the case. He dismissed the charges. Can you imagine that? Last time it didn't go very well, but God said, hey, this time you're not suffering. It looks like he is, and all of a sudden, out of the clear blue sky, the authority goes, you know what? This is crazy. This guy is going to be let free. Well, the Scriptures tell us as we end up, verses 18 through 22, that Paul then leaves Corinth. He stops at Ephesus and Jerusalem before returning to Antioch, his home church. In just one little line there, he says, when he stopped at Ephesus, he began to reason with the Jews there. It looks like he was pretty much focused to get back to his home church at this moment after 18 months of ministry in Corinth. But right now, just as he was traveling back, somehow... He was drawn to Ephesus and even told the people there, hey, uh, you know, I know you want me to stay, and they did, but Lord willing, I'm going to come back later, and he does in his next missionary trip. But what he does is end up this time. I think instead of being beat up, really encouraged. God's word strengthened him. God's word empowered him. God's word gave him wings in order to do what God has called him to do. You see, there's a great story today again. The work, as we look at in Corinth, started off rather slowly, especially during the tent-making days. He was just able to go to the synagogue and, and reason with the Greeks and the Jews but over time paul's ministry produced fruit paul found strength in god's word during times of encouragement or discouragement and trusting god's word enables us to still be standing when the storms come isn't that amazing God says this, there's going to be storms. Jesus ended up his sermon on the mount with these verses, with this part. He so I just want you to know, storms of life do come. But if you listen to me, you're going to remain standing at the end. What a promise. Paul responded. Paul was standing at the end. God's mission is unfinished. It is. Sharing the good news and making disciples is something he asked his church to continue with. It's our marching orders. It's encouraging that along the way that God cares and encourages his people, his kids to stay the course we'll continue this series next week but let's pray Father I thank you I thank you that you know just when to rescue you do it perfectly Father I thank you that you know what words to give each one of us who are in the battle who are in the trenches. But God, these are words you not only use with Paul, you use with your saints all the way through time. You've told us not to be afraid, but to speak with boldness because you are walking with us. Oh God, may these truths transform us this week. May we, as we go into our worlds wherever you send us be salt and light be able to share that Jesus is Messiah and that you desire deeply to be part of their lives we love you we thank you for your word and we thank you for Paul's example in Jesus name Amen